here uh, this morning, both members and visitors alike, we thank you for your presence, your attendance. It's good to, to know that there are so many online who are worshiping with us this morning as well. We welcome you as well. We praise God for each of you, and we praise God for his goodness and for his mercy and for his grace. Let us go, please, together to God in a word of prayer. Oh, great Heavenly Father, we praise your holy and divine name and thank you so very much for all that you've done and for all that you do and for all that you will do. We thank you for your compassion, for your patience toward us. We thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to endure through through our pandemic and through our trials and our suffering as you allowed and blessed your children in times past to endure through their trials and tribulations. We pray that you will help us, give us the strength that we need, that we desire to be effective servants of yours, to honor you and remember you in all things. Bless us, Lord God, to clear our minds of worldly thought, to remember Jesus, your great son, who so willingly came to the earth to live and to die on our behalf, to die that we might live, We thank you for that amazing resurrection. And we thank you for your salvation and gift of love and for your grace. Please bless our worship today. We pray that all things that will and have been said and done will and have been pleasing and acceptable unto thee. And bless us, Lord God, please, through this worship to focus only on you and again to bring glory and honor to your name. We pray these things would be your will in that great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Revelation chapter 16 this morning, the seven bowls of wrath. The bowls of wrath come to us in the forms of the plagues of Egypt. As Israel crossed the Red Sea and as they'd gone through all the trials they'd gone through, the plagues are a reminder. And so God here is reminding us of what he has once done and what he will do again figuratively in the destruction of Rome. Revelation 16, beginning at verse 1. And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour the seven bowls of wrath of God into the earth. And the first angel went and poured out his bowl into the earth. And it became a loathsome and malignant sore upon the men who had the mark of the beast. And who worshipped his image. Go back to Exodus, please, chapter 9. Only the earth dwellers, those who have the mark, those who worship Satan, those who worship Rome, received the plagues. So this malignant sore that was on their body, on their persons, would have come only to those who were opposed to God. Those who were sealed were protected were protected from the wrath of God. Exodus 9, beginning at verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln, and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast, through all the land of Egypt. 
So they took soot from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it toward the sky. And it became boils breaking out and sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. And so they're being destroyed because they refuse. Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go. So what God does and what he's showing us in Revelation is what he's already done. And he's saying, I'm going to do it again. In other words, there's nothing that can stop God's will. So, though in Revelation it's figurative, we understand that God has already done it. It's like in our lives, we, we grow in faith, and we grow in faith based on things that already happened in our lives. I know, you read the Bible, you gain your faith, but there are things in your life that you can say, God has blessed me and brought me through this, and He's done it once, and I know He'll do it again. And so here is a picture if you will, a picture image in Revelation of what God has done in the past to rescue His people effectively. In chapter 7, the water was turned to blood. Exodus chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. And as he is going out to the water station, yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile and you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent and you shall say to him the Lord the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness behold you have not listened unto now thus says the Lord by this you shall know that I am the Lord behold I will strike the waters that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it shall be turned into blood. And the fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will be foul, and the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. So God is using, in Revelation, back to chapter 16, He's using the same um, ideas so that when you read the book of Revelation, you could say, okay, I've read, I know, I understand, I believe. And you know that what God did to Egypt was effective and it worked. And you can know and understand and believe that God is doing something to Rome that will be effective and it will work. In verse 3, the text says, And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Someone asked the question one time, why is it so important to know your Bible? Well, if you were living in these days and you didn't know your Bible, you'd have a hard time finding faith. But if you knew your Bible and you read and you studied and you understood those plagues of Egypt and the things of the past, you will have an amazing faith and the ability to overcome through these times of difficulty and devastation. And the Bible is so real, it's so huge. There are things in it that are so human, like this this next point that we're going to read. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 and verse 
10. It is just so human in the sense of the people who are speaking. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which he had, they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? God, when are you going to get those people that murdered us? It's so human. God has an answer. Chapter 16, verse 4. And reading the book of Revelation, you can never forget the souls under the altar. Verse 4, the Bible says, And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous art thou who art and who was, and O holy one, because thou is judge these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. The altar is excited because God did what he promised he would do. He avenged the saints. But you know Rome, Rome is just like Pharaoh, stubborn. They were so stubborn, they refused to repent. And so we're looking back at the account of them refusing to repent, verse 8 and verse 9. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. And now he's going to throw something right into the lap of the government. Verse 10 and verse 11. 10 and 11. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. So the kingdom becoming darkened is exactly the way that Rome was destroyed from internal decay, confusion. See, Rome died not from the outside in. Rome died from the inside out. See, Rome and its client kingship destroyed itself. God was behind it, but the point is it died from the inside out. In Rome, if the saints could have been on the earth today, today, I mean, you think about this, you look at the Bible and you say, okay, the the great enemies of God's people, the great powerhouses of the world, they're going to join together their forces and come against the world. Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, and Rome. How many of us would laugh? (laughs) Say, what? When God destroys a people, a nation, a country, unless he brings it back to life, it's gone forever. Rome is gone forever. As far as its power, its ability to wage war and affliction and trials upon the people. 
You see, God wants us to have the kind of faith to believe, to trust, to know, and to understand that God not only knows our trials and our suffering, but God is doing something about it. And that's important. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up, that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. And when you go back to Isaiah chapter 8, you see Euphrates River always represented Assyria. It was, it's the northern people, if you will. A great, great and powerful nation. And God uses even the Euphrates River. He says the Euphrates and the Euphrates represented or stood for the powerhouse of Assyria. But now the church becomes, if you will, the powerhouse coming from the east, traveling to the Euphrates. But then as God dried up the Jordan, as God dried up the Red Sea, God dries up the Euphrates River so that there's nothing that stops the church from coming across the Euphrates River to wage war against the beast, against Satan, in this symbolic battle of Armageddon. We'll get to that actually later in our in our studies. But verse 5, And again the Lord spoke to me further, saying, Inasmuch as these people have rejected the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh, and rejoice in resin and the son of Remaliah. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates, even the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise up over all its channels and go over all its banks. And then it will sweep on into Judah. It will overthrow and pass through. It will reach even to the neck. And the spread of its wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. So here, the Euphrates River, again, is dried up. Revelation 16, in verse 13. Who can stop God? You see, remember the question that was asked because of the deception of Satan. The question that was asked was, who can wage war against the beast? Who can beat Rome? Who can destroy Rome? And God is showing so many different ways that he's coming to destroy the Roman Empire. So here's a figurative battle. The battle of Armageddon. We don't see the battle of Armageddon in in chapter uh, 16. It mentions it. it. Everyone's getting ready for it. But in verse 13, the Bible says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon... And out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, the un, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and men See his shame. The unclean spirits, like frogs. Here's what Satan is doing. Satan is gathering all of his um, powers. And he's doing everything that he can to deceive 
the nations. He's striving to deceive the people. And so those unclean spirits like frogs, the the idea is these are deceptions that Satan will use, false messages, false teaching, things like this. Whatever it takes to convince people that they can defeat God, Satan's going to use it. Well, whatever it takes to, to convince the church, and even Rome, to convince the church that you can have your good and your evil, just live any way you want. You live any life that you want to live. Don't you worry about it. I'll tell you what's important. Your happiness is more important than your soul. So if those Romans come up to you and they knock on your door and, and, and they come and they ask if you're Christians and they're going to invade upon your peace and your happiness, sell your soul. Sell your soul. Come with me. Satan's words of deception. This battle represents God's great victory and overthrow of evil. Good wins. But there's this deception that says maybe good doesn't win. Maybe good doesn't win this time. Good wins, brethren. Listen to what he said. He said this in verse verse 15. We're going backwards. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. Here's what God is saying. Don't be found naked. Do you know what that's? Turn back to Revelation chapter, chapter three, please, for just a moment. Don't be found naked. Verse seventeen, Laodicea. What was wrong with Laodicea? They were lukewarm. God said, "I'll spit you out of my mouth." They thought they had it all. They had sold their souls for money and fame and wealth and riches and all those wonderful things on the earth. And God says, because you say, I am rich, and I become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You have fallen into Satan's trap. And here he's at it again. Chapter 12, for just a moment. He's at it again. What did he do in heaven? Remember, in the heavenly realm, in the heavenlies, Satan gathered together. Somehow, he convinced the angels. He deceived them into believing that they could be God. That they could take the throne and they could be what they wanted and do what they wanted. And they lost. Revelation 12, verse 7, uh, the Bible uh, tells us they are speaking of the war of heaven. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And Satan is trying to do it again. But if you know your book, you know Jesus said in Luke 10 and verse 18 that I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You won't give in to the trick, to the trap of Satan. Here's Satan's trap, Satan's trick. 
You can live your life in any way that you want. You make sure that the one thing you find on this earth is your happiness. That's Satan's trick. See? Because then you strive after your happiness all of your life. And you find out that, well, life kind of goes up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. It's kind of hard to find your happiness. So you continue to strive after your happiness and you forget about what? Your soul. Satan's trick. Satan's trick, it, it kind of sounds like this. You can live your life full of lust and pleasure and still serve God and be a Christian. Don't worry about it. You can go to the temples. It's fine. Go to the temples and have your fun and do your thing. Whatever it is you want to do, do it and you'll be alright. Don't worry about it. It's, it's going to be important to you. Your soul is not as important as your happiness. Hmm. Don't worry about life. When you live your life, understand that you can participate in all the arrogance and pride that you want. Don't worry about it. You win. Your happiness is more important than your soul. So, I want you to pursue after all the money you can get. Right? I mean, I want you to have it all because your happiness is more important than your soul. Don't give in to God. God is saying your soul is more important than your happiness. And so when the Roman army comes around and they're gonna, and they're gonna destroy your family and destroy your life, you think about your happiness, don't think about your soul. Satan's trick. And you know what's sad? It works. It works on the church, doesn't it? It works. It works so well, he did it once. And then he's done it to folks on the earth over and over and over again that in Revelation 16 and verse 16, he's got a whole slew of people who've given in and sold their souls for their happiness. In verse 16, the Bible says, And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And the battle doesn't take place yet. We'll get that in chapter 19. But but they're all gathered together. And guess what they're gathered together for? A war. And guess who they're going to fight against? God. And guess who's not going to win? I don't have to say it, do I? (laughs) But he deceives people into believing that you can have your cake in this life and eat it too. He deceives people in believing, into believing that this is heaven on earth. So they don't want to go to heaven because their heaven's right here. He's deceitful. He's a liar. He's deceptive. He's evil. Don't listen to Satan. So listen to what the rest of this chapter goes on to say and the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying it is done do you know why we don't really get to see the battle I mean I know the battle of Armageddon when we get to chapter 19 we'll talk about uh, you know Armageddon we'll talk about that but you know why you don't really get to see a battle because there is no battle 
<laughs> Who could fight God and win? I mean, it's over like that. It's not even a battle. I know. They, they said it's, you know, the rocket ships and the airplanes and, and, and you know, this and that. It's, there's no battle. You can't beat God. You cannot win. It's like Satan was shot down from heaven like lightning. It's, it's over before it begins. But Satan has deceived these people. So God says, it is done. And there was, were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. You know, this earthquake idea is very fresh on their minds. You read in the Old Testament about great earthquakes in the Bible. In Bible times, should I say. But something happened just just about 11 years ago, 12 years ago, prior to the book of Revelation being written. And it, it, it happened about 79 A.D. And you, you read about it, you've heard about it. Pompeii, the city of Rome, right? When, 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 that, when that volcanic eruption happened... Uh, history tells us that that thing erupted for 24 hours. And in that city of Rome, that, that place, place of pleasure and fun, those people died. 2,000. 2,000 people died and they were encapsulized, if you will. They, I mean, they died like that. They just burned up from the volcanic ash and the volcanic uh, fires that came down and just destroyed them. And everyone knew about it. Even we know about it to this day. When you think about God's power in Rome's destruction. I'm not saying that Pompeii was God's destruction. But what I'm saying is it's fresh on their minds. Oh, wait, an earthquake? A volcano? A what? What's going to happen? Rome will be Destroyed. Like Solomon Gomorrah. God will send down fire and brimstone. Rome will be destroyed. The point of the matter is that when God destroys these people, great will be its destruction. Do not sell your souls. Verse 18. It says, And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth, so great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. That's God's grand finale. The biggest, the strongest, the most powerful earthquake that you've ever experienced is about to happen. Now, if God were talking to us, and God said, I'm seeing an earthquake much larger, in fact, the biggest earthquake that you, what do we think of? The one that just happened, <laughs> And God says, I'm sending one bigger and mightier than that. That's how the book of Revelation is written. If God is waking them up and saying, remember when I did this? And they're going, yeah. And God says, this is what I'm going to do. It's imagery that they can understand very clearly. Verse 19. And the great city was split into three parts. And the cities, the nations fell. And Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath and every island fled away and the mountains were not found 
and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell, because his plague was extremely severe. God's bowls of wrath affected all of Rome, everywhere. All of Rome. It seemed like Rome was everywhere. It affected all of Rome. Now, here's what's important. You can get really excited about the book of Revelation. You start hearing about earthquakes and fire and all these things the Bible speaks of. Remember, remember, don't press these images too far. Right? Remember, very importantly, very importantly, remember, he's talking about figurative things. It's apocalyptic literature. It's something that, that reaches the heart of the members of the church. It reaches the heart and it gives them the strength and the energy to continue on until the end. What happens is people get lost, right? And you start bringing up things that aren't even in the Bible, right? Because Revelation almost allows you to do it because it's figurative language. Now, if you read it properly the way it's supposed to be read, you understand it's figurative language. He says it was like this or the sound like this or it was as this. Not that it actually was this. And this is where people have gone astray in the book of Revelation. Where they take the like and the as and they take it literal when they start making up ideas about what the book of Revelation is really talking about. But God is showing us over and over again. Remember this. Revelation chapter 1. This is so critical. The one thing you can never, ever do when you're reading the book of Revelation is you can never, ever remove one of your feet from the first century church. You've got to have your foot in the first century because it's written to them, not to us. Now, we gain principles of understanding from it, but it was written to them, those who were suffering, those who were struggling, those who were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. It was written to them for their victory, but the foundation, if you will, is given also to us because of the power that's written within it. It reaches all the way back to the book of Exodus and reaches all the way forward to the book of Revelation. We can gain amazing principles of understanding but you're not going to find specific prophecies fulfilled in our lifetime. That's important. I know those, people don't like to hear that. You start studying Revelation, they go, no, I want this to be some mystical book that's just amazing. And, it, you know, and in my life, I can say this is what happened in my life. But that's not what the book of Revelation is all about. You see, remember this. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by the angel to his bondservants, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words, the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Remember that. These things must shortly take place. The time is near. You want to know about salvation? It's in the New Testament. Acts 2, verse 38. You want to know how to be saved? It's written. It is written. There's no, there's no, you know, mystical thing that's going to happen. Something great is not going to fall on your head and wake you up. You read the book. You believe it. 
You surrender to it. And this morning, if, if you are not a Christian, we encourage you to become a child of God. To surrender to Him in the waters of baptism. To, to read His Word, to hear it, and then to believe it. And then to have godly sorrow in your heart, repentance. And then to make that confession that you believe Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. And then stay faithful, holy, and true to God all the way until the end when God calls you home. Do not give in to the trick of Satan to believe that some amazing, mystical, mysterious thing is going to happen in your life to bring you to Jesus. We all are called the same way. We invite you to come this morning. Together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come?